Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we have another exciting episode today. We're kicking off something that's a little bit new, and that is a series focused on healthcare, so technology adoption in healthcare. This isn't something that we set up intentionally. What we found is all of a sudden we started having a whole bunch of prospective guests that all came from various uh, areas in healthcare, and we decided to make this a bit of a series. So today's guest is the Senior Vice President of Learning and Performance Development at an organization called Blue Sprig. I'm going to have her explain that. Um, but for today, please welcome to the show, Amanda Fulbright. Hello, Amanda. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you and really to kick this off. I remember when you and I first had our conversation during the prep call, I questioned you and said, you know, are there really technology adoption problems in your space. And you just about leaped through the uh, Zoom call to me to tell me, yes, it's something that we deal with all the time. And you helped get my head on straight about this. And I can't wait to explore that with you today and, and share that with our audience. So before we get into that, though, let me ask you the question that we always start with. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing the deskless and frontline workforce today? I think two very related uh, puzzles that we have with our deskless workforce are time and communication, and I think they're really related. Um, our deskless workforce doesn't often have a lot of time built into their days for communication. They're not sitting in front of a computer to get instant messages or emails right when they're coming in, so communication can be a challenge and and often our frontline workers are not um, scheduled at the same you know, eight to five we have longer shifts um, rotating shifts and, and things of that nature part-time workers and so even things as simple as like staff meetings to communicate a change or a new rollout um, aren't occurring for them like they are your typical nine to five um, sitting at a desk and so that's been a real challenge for our field where you know 80 to 90% of our company are what you would call deskless they are frontline workers wow when you talk about time is that just time on the clock in in the schedule or is it also the amount of time that they have available to them I think it's a little bit of both, particularly when you're looking at um, part-time employees that might have another job or they're a student. Um, so some of it is time, but certainly scheduled time in our line of work. Our frontline workers are face-to-face -face with clients or, or patients, and they just don't have that time built into their day for all the communication that might come up in the day. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I'm and I'm really excited to to explore this uh, a lot further because I think there are probably more 
common themes between the frontline workforce in healthcare, then there are differences, right? So mm -hmm. that the industry is obviously very different from field service technicians or from delivery drivers or retail associates and things like that. But a lot of the challenges that you just talked about are the same challenges that we hear mm -hmm. about with mm -hmm. all those other same, you know, kind of worker profiles. And I'm dying to explore that a little bit further. So before we get into that, let's uh, let our audience know who they're hearing from today. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you ended up at Blue Sprig. Yeah, sure. Um, again, Amanda Fulbright. I am the Senior Vice President of Learning and Performance Development for Blue Sprig Pediatrics. So we're at a, a niche healthcare uh, company that we provide ABA services, which is a type of therapy for children with autism. And so we do that across a number of states, a number of markets in, in large states such as Texas and Florida, Georgia. Um, and we provide those services in homes, in our clinics and in the community. So we have a wide range of environments in which our frontline workers are working in. And, and across many time zones and all those types of challenges that can present themselves when you're a multi-state organization. Yeah. So help us. I know that I have a, a blind spot because I haven't spent a lot of my time in my career um, working with technology solutions in healthcare. So I have a general sense of it. But most of what I know, I probably know more as being a consumer of healthcare services. You know, I've... I was at the dentist this morning and I saw the technology they used. And, um, you know, I've obviously been to the hospital for myself and others. So I see some of the technology, but it's not really obvious to me where all of the technology solutions are that an organization like yours would deal with. So can you just maybe help us get a frame of reference around what is the tech that would be used by your frontline workers? What are they even doing with that technology? And then I want to get into, you know, why it's important. Right. So in our industry, in our field, we are very heavy into data collection. So if I can relate it um, back to an experience that you or your listeners might have, we've all probably gone to a doctor's office and the first thing that, that the doctor does is pop open their laptop and they start looking at your chart, right? And they're taking notes while you're talking and they're putting that data that lives in your electronic medical record. We're doing the same thing with our therapy. And so we're looking at this client has a goal, working on this goal. So we're taking real-time data on their performance towards mastering that goal or that skill that they're working towards. And so that's a frontline worker, a uh, behavior analyst or the professional in this equation, um, paraprofessional professional, um, then aggregates that data and is looking at it and is making choices and making decisions on where to go next with that client's program that they're working on or their um, treatment plan, if you will. And so without those data, they're not able to make decisions to guide the treatment plan of that, that client. So if you went to um, get an x-ray and your doctor could not read that x-ray, they don't know what to do next on your shoulder, right? So it's, it's really the same, um, the same scenario. Without data, we can't make medical decisions to guide this child's treatment. 
So we had this push when I was a frontline worker, we took data on pen and paper. And so our, our, my bosses would grab that pen and paper and go and review the data. We've had this great shift to electronic data, um, which is wonderful for large companies, multi-state companies and things like that. But it's, it's opened up all of these doors that create barriers um, with tech adoption and, and use everything from what device are you using to how well is this person trained to use this technology solution? Is it really a solution for the, that organization? I, I mean, that is a fantastic question, right? If if they're not able to use it or not comfortable using it, then is it really a solution or is it actually <laughs> creating another problem? And it, and it sounds right. like you're you're making the case that there's, there's a problem and, and it's not that it's necessarily insurmountable, but there is a new challenge that you're faced with. Pretty much everybody you took on in the paper world knew how to put pen to paper and and fill out that form so there was some information there but the the technology the pen and the paper wasn't a barrier it sounds like it's created a little bit of a barrier in your organization um or maybe just not your organization but your yeah. field overall. yeah i i think so and and some of us that have have were frontline workers in the pen and paper days we will have days where we're like can we just go back to pen and paper y'all yeah. um so it it and we don't really mean that we really don't but um there are days when the tech solution um is not really a solution for us it's down the server's down i mean chaos pandemonium yeah. um if the server's down right or um they moved where a button was and and not everyone knows and now they don't know how to get to that one place because the button was moved um it it can be a barrier where pen and paper don't um, off those same challenges, but on the other side, um, you know, you can't spill coffee and ruin your, your, <laughs> you know, right. your, your data on a server somewhere, um, which I have done, unfortunately, just the papers. <laughs> so yeah. it's a trade-off. It's a catch 22. I mean, overall, I'm really glad at the, um, the electronic solutions that we've, that we've made in, um, in the past, you know, decade or so. But there are days I'm like, this used to not so, be this hard. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let, let's talk about the actual technology itself. Are, are these mobile applications? Are you on smartphones, tablets? Is this um, a, a web-based application that they're sitting there? I, as I think about most of the doctors that I've interacted with are just healthcare professionals, the, the offices. Um, it's mostly been on a laptop or a desktop. Is that still the case in, in your environment or are they using this across all forms of tech? You even mentioned people are doing in-home services here. So mm -hmm. is that primarily mm -hmm. mobile? Talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, we we do use um, several platforms that have an app based and our tech, our frontline workers or what we call our technicians are using um mobile or handheld devices so a tablet or a phone and that's usually preferred for for them with with kits you know you're you're running around you're, you're pretty mobile so having a more mobile solution tends to be the preference there um though we do have some um you know higher level frontline workers that are they need a, a different machine so they need like a laptop or a, at the least a netbook kind of situation they need a, a bigger landscape you know to look at for their screen but um, for the most part, we're, we're using a um, application. Um, some of where I live most of the time is in our LMS for training, and that does have an app and web-based. And um, 
you know, it, it's available on mobile, handheld, laptops, and pretty much any device. It just kind of scales up and down really nicely. Yeah. So when you're, would you say that the the bigger challenge you mentioned before, you know, applications are changing, uh, where's a button now, there's something that's been moved in the software. Would you say that the bigger challenge that you see in your organization is the changing of the technology that already exists? Because you, you actually mentioned it's not just one application, it's a suite of applications, it sounds like your folks need to interact with. Or is it just the challenge of onboarding folks? And once you get them up and running, then they're pretty much self sufficient from that point forward? It's a good it's a good mix like i said we our frontline workers are about 90 percent of our organization so um you know onboarding is a challenge uh just to to teach you all of the things that you need so we've got our you know our emr where all of our you know healthcare data live we also have you know their schedules are are electronic and their timesheets are electronic and their training is electronic and and uh, their communication is electronic so you know, there's all these different platforms and, oh, is that in Teams or is that in SharePoint or is that in, you know, this over here um, platform? So a lot of it is onboarding and once they they reach some level of fluency, it's, it's fine. But then um, we have rolled out some new platforms. We've rolled out like an employee engagement platform um, very recently. And we've also rolled out a new tool for um, our professionals to work with families, and that's a separate platform. And those are two rollouts we've done just this year. So it's new for everyone. So it's, it's kind of a mixed bag, to be honest. Okay, that's awesome. So when you surprised me when we first met, and you said that you're spending a lot of time dealing with technology adoption, you actually said, I, I, I grabbed this quote, you said, tech adoption is a cornerstone of what we do here. Yeah. And so th that really resonated with me. And I wanted to make sure I remembered to bring that up. So maybe help us understand what are some of the challenges? Let's start with the challenges. And then I want to evolve the conversation into solutions and best practices that you've learned. But what are some of the challenges? What is working in training? Or maybe where are you seeing some or not disadvantages, but challenges in your training processes today and how you're handling change management and communication? Talk us through those things a little bit, and then we'll move over to the solution side. Yeah. Um, so our department in training, um, we handle, we at least partner with other departments to roll out any change or any new implementation. So we, we have the challenge of what's the best way to communicate this. And we really believe in uh, the premise of the right training for the right person at the right time. And so there's a challenge on when, when do these people need to know it? Because if you, if you go too early, they're going to forget. There's this, you know, the forgetting curve is real. Um, you also don't want to just show them how to do it and not allow them to practice it. Because you could show me, um, you know, how to share a screen in Zoom right now. And if I don't practice that immediately and I don't use that for two weeks time, my success rate is probably going to be low. Um, so, so the right time is is a real key thing that we um, that we consider when we're rolling something out. Is when do we do the training? And then different levels of positions are going to have probably different permission settings or different roles of how they're going to use that training. So a frontline technician doesn't need to have all of the information that a BCBA is going to have. So 
then you're running into I've got five different trainings going at the same time for all these people. Um, so that that can certainly be a challenge. It is a challenge for us. I'm not going to say that we get it right every single time, but I think we're getting a lot closer. Um, and then there's the uh, question of the modality of the training. Is this an e-learning? Is this a webinar? Is this an in-person hands-on? You know, so depending on the type of pilot we're rolling out or initiative that we're rolling out, we're going we're gonna to change course depending on what the needs are of the organization at that time. Let's talk about the timing piece for a second. I want to dig into that a little bit more. Sure. That's something that's come up in my day job a lot lately. I hear from customers telling us about the challenges of timing as it relates to kind of the IT side of the house. So project schedules, new launch dates, things may be rolled out in waves across the country, you know, throughout different regions and things like that. And when you talk about timing, it would be great to just say, hey, well, let's train them here in November when we're recording this episode. But if they're not going to be using the software until February or March, as you talked about, the forgetting curve is real. They'll have forgotten 90 plus percent of everything we've taught them. So you're trying to kind of come together to home in on on a time when the application will be rolled out around the same time as they're getting the training. Mm -hmm. Is that is that type of timing in and of itself? Has that proven to be an issue for you? Or have you found ways to work with the IT teams to better align that timing so that you're in lockstep with those project plans? We definitely have to be in lockstep on project plans. So it is our project plans as we get closer to launch dates are planned down to the day and sometimes like the time of the day. Wow. I'm going to do this at 12 p.m. on Tuesday and then I'm on deck, you know, to launch a training at that time um, for, for whatever position because we don't, we don't, if I launch training too early, then they don't have even the platform to practice in or to go and, and do a login and, and things like that. But if they launch it too early, they might jump around in there and get discouraged because they had no training on it. Me meaning that the users are seeing things in the software now trying to do their job and things have moved around, processes mm -hmm. have changed, and they're saying, hey, what's going on here? I, I didn't get any training on this piece. Right, right. Okay. So being in lockstep is really, really important, particularly for brand new rollouts. Um, when there are changes to to something and we have a heads up, then, then we can be maybe a little bit flexible because maybe the system's a bit more intuitive at that point. There's some fluency built in. Um, but when it's a new rollout, we have to be down to the hour in yeah, lockstep yeah. with whomever's project managing that. That's great. That's great that you've been able to... Um facilitate that with with your internal teams and and i'm not looking to just create department wars in in the organizations that we're we're talking about here but it is challenging i mean things happen on the it side of things and uh, projects get delayed things happen that are unexpected and i know that there are a lot of people that can be affected by that and i'm a big supporter that if something's not ready to be rolled out we shouldn't roll it out but at the same time, there are a lot of other implications of that downstream effects. And it sounds like you have done a pretty good job in your organization of, of keeping that streamlined. Uh, it's I'm been curious. an evolution. It, it yeah, certainly it's... has been an evolution. And, and a lot of us have, have worked with each other for a while now. And so, yeah. so that's um, to our advantage. Yeah. 
No, that's, that's fantastic. That's awesome. So let me ask you about, you mentioned the modality of training and mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear some of the things that you're considering as you're sorting through that, when you look at a new technology rollout, you know, you mentioned the challenges of five different trainings for five different roles. So this technology, you may be rolling out a, a new application or suite of applications that are going to affect everybody differently. Tell us a little bit about that process that you and your team go through when you're thinking about the best modalities. And is that a blended approach that you're using a combination of these mo modalities across the entire curriculum? I'd just like to understand a little bit more about that process behind the scenes. Sure. Um, I'm excited to talk about that. We've developed um, an assessment and a decision model internally that I can always disagree with the decision model at the end. Um, but a lot of times we've, we've, um, we've tailored it to the, that it works pretty well. And usually I agree with the decision model we've programmed. Um, but so we, we do an assessment initially of who is this training for? you know, how what, how big of a change is this or how impactful is this to this position or to the organization, what what positions it's impactful for. Um, we kind of rate the, the level of um, impact. Then we, we ask the stakeholder, what are your desired outcomes? Do you, you want them to start using it right away? Do you want them, or is there gonna be time to practice? And then we start to get into some real um, nuanced details of whatever the the training is that we need. And then we kind of, um, we've kind of programmed it to calculate like this impacts a lot of people. So it's gonna be this type of training. And, and it just kind of takes all of those um, answers to the assessment and uh, and then kind of spits out at the end, this is what we recommend, like one one or two different modalities. And then we choose, you know, we make a database decision at that point um, to tell us what we think the best way is. We go back to the stakeholder and say, this is our recommendation. You know, let's talk through pros and cons. Yeah. So is that a framework that you and your team built out specifically yeah. for your needs or is that something that's kind of industry-wide that you're following? We built it out specifically for our needs based on a um, couple of different things. Um, you know, some of it is your listeners might be familiar with like the Kirkpatrick model. And we're looking at like what what type of evaluation are we going to do at the end, which is always important when we start a training is to understand what do we want to get out of it and how are we going to measure that? Um, and so there's a lot of influences in it, but we we built it ourselves. In, in my day job, I get to talk to a lot of decision makers at, at large organizations who are dealing with the challenges of technology adoption across different, you know, team member profiles and different industries. And I, I hear different levels of need around readiness assessment mm -hmm. from one extreme, which is we need to know with this close to 100% certainty that they can get in our production systems and be successful. Like readiness scoring is a significant high priority for them to understand before they launch something into the field. And then I have others who said, we don't really care about measuring their readiness. We just want to give them the information that they need so they can be prepared to figure it out as they need to, right? There's a, a, a bit of desperation coming typically when I hear that. <laughs> which is we may not have time or tools to do it the ideal way, which is to measure readiness. Um, but we've just got to give them, we've got to get them out there because you know we're understaffed and we've got work to do and we're going to throw things out there. So I'm kind of curious, see where you fit 
you know, in your organization in terms of readiness, you know, the need and ability to measure readiness before you go into production mm -hmm. and how you and your organization would respond if people may not be ready to absorb some change, would you move forward or not? And, you know, and, and how do you know that? Can you mm -hmm. fill me in a little bit on how you think through that? What a great question. I think that it it depends for 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 me and for us. It depends on that individual situation. What is the change that needs to take place? How important is that change? Can that change wait for two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, six months? Um, how vital is it? And then at that point, it's about managing expectations. I can do this much with these many resources. I can do this much with these resources. And, and then it's all about managing expectations and holding each other accountable to that agreement that you went into. And, and the expectations that you're referring to, are, are you meaning to your stakeholders? To, yes. to not, not necessarily to the end users themselves, but to the stakeholders who are saying, hey, we need this rolled out by December 1st. Yeah. And Most you're saying, okay, time, that's great, but I need 12 times the resources that we have available to make that happen. Yeah, mostly to the stakeholders, but but some to the end users. I mean, I think that that there have been times where we said, you know what, this is this is what we have today. We're backfilling these resources that we recognize are needed in the field, but we didn't want to leave a void today. So here's this. Better is coming, or different is coming, or more is coming. Um, so so to your point, I do think that there's some managing of expectations of end users. Um, you know, there are platforms that have been rolled out that we've said it doesn't do this today, but we're told in quarter four they're going to roll that out. And so there's there's a level of managing expectations for them as well. I think it's all the way around. You just need to go into projects eyes wide open. Yeah, I, I hear a lot of guests talk about you know, in, in the scenario that you just talked about saying, hey, it's not available today, but it's going to be available in fourth quarter or whenever that timing is, there's some trust required in order for those types of communications and expectation setting to be effective. Have you experienced any situations where maybe the trust wasn't there and you had to build it up? Or is that not a problem that you've witnessed in your organization? Oh, I, I have experienced it. And, and it's, it's usually with you know, applications or, or technology solutions who say that a certain product is going to be rolled out at, at a certain date or in a certain quarter. And, um, you know, we've lost some trust in some of those. So we don't maybe publicize that to everyone. And we say, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it when we see it um, kind of thing. And then we have other partners who, you know, are true to their word and there's nothing but trust there. So, yeah. So, I typically ask to get some perspective on the difference between the frontline workers training and change management and some of the just general technology adoption topics that we've been talking about today versus your more traditional desk bound, you know, knowledge workers in your organization, you know, it's so lopsided in favor of the frontline workers. I'm, I'm curious still to get your perspective. I mean, do you see changes, differences, I should say? in the way that you think of technology adoption for your team members that are on the front lines versus those that are working in more traditional, you know, office roles? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I mean, anything from like the devices that they're using. So for example, if we're creating a training and it's gonna go company-wide, I'm going to make sure that that training is best for a mobile solution, which means that it might not look best on a desktop solution, but right. because I'm skewed this way, we're going to use technology that we know and 100% is going to work on a mobile solution, um, which means that I can't do some of the cool things in training that I'd like to do if I had a desktop, if I had a giant screen, if I, <laughs> you know, um, I would love to do more live training than we do. We can't, we can't um, hit all of those people at the same time. We're in four different time zones working, you know, um, with clients all, you know, many hours of the day. So it definitely puts things in a different perspective that I would approach that I would approach it differently if I had a 90% desk population. I, I love that example actually in, in the way that we describe it is, you know, the platform that it's optimized for. And you know, because I think something that you just said, I, I want to really emphasize for the audience. You can build content materials approaches that work on desktop and work on mobile. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, but they tend to be optimized for one or the other, mm -hmm. unless you invest incrementally and build that content out in both environments, right? But most of the time, Customers aren't afforded that, you know, the, the companies that we're working with in my day job aren't afforded the luxury of being able to build things out twice for, for both of those. And so right. it's really important to think about which it's optimized for, but it also doesn't mean that it can't be used elsewhere, right? So if you were to build out content in your example, which is a great one, and you're building out content that's primarily for the mobile users, then it can still be consumed on desktop, but it may not have all the same capabilities. Um, I think that scenario probably works out better than building out content primarily for desktop and expecting it to be consumed on a mobile device, that seems to fall apart, you know, more readily. Mm -hmm. And that's a part of like our, you know, assessment process when we're looking at things, who is this for? Okay, it's mainly for our technicians. Okay, we know we're gonna go this way. Yeah, I, I commend question. you for doing that. So many companies that we're talking to still, guests that we've interviewed here, guests that, you know, are not guests, but customers that we talk to in my day job, um, haven't, their organizations haven't gotten to a point yet where they have that, that assessment process in place where they're thinking about the target devices. And mm -hmm. that's near and dear to me, you know, my heart, because I, I came from the mobile technology space. So I tend to come into these conversations with sensitivity around the needs of, of the mobile devices and users and things like that. But most organizations are still kind of stuck in a desktop first mindset, and they're trying to make their way over to mobile. And a common response to that is to just take the content that's in there, you know, LMS, which is primarily oriented toward desktop users, and find some way to get that onto the mobile device, but then none of those things are really optimized. And I just I love the way that you talk through that. And I think that's a model that everybody should really be thinking about is think about the profile of that team member, the devices that they're going to be using when they access it that where they're going to be accessing it and then optimize the content for those scenarios 
And then, you know, if somebody happens to pick it up on desktop, that's great. They can still enlarge it and see it on the screen, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's really good that you've, um, it seems that you guys have really mastered that process internally. Well, thank you. Another thing that I, I don't know that I mentioned, though, is also the time, the time duration of training. When we're working primarily with our frontline workers, our technicians, we're doing things in bite sizes. We're doing five, 10, 15 minute, you know, chunks of training. Um, places where they can stop and go see another client and then come back to that and really designing the training in in that way that it's going to be conducive for adult learning for their job and so getting getting training in the flow of work is really important and when we made that shift a couple of years ago is when i think we really had a culture change we started to see a culture change so I'm so glad you just raised this topic. When I asked you earlier about time as a constraint, I was asking because I do hear a lot of organizations, guests here on the show, again, that have talked about not being able to afford the frontline workers the time that they need for training. Mm -hmm. And this isn't even just technology adoption related training systems training, but it's really mm -hmm. all forms of training. So right. this is kind of a holistic issue here. And, and that really, it frustrates me for them, for those team members who are, we have high expectations of their performance. They represent the brand, they represent the quality of service, whatever service that we're delivering, whether it's behavior analysis or, you know, fixing, you know, air conditioning equipment. Mm -hmm. um, they represent that work that we're doing out on the front lines, and yet we don't afford them the time. What you just talked about breaking that content into to bite-sized chunks that they can consume. Almost every time when we do any sort of uh, analysis of these roles, they do have breaks throughout their day. They're just smaller breaks. Mm -hmm. And so if we give them content that can be consumed within those breaks, convert some of that downtime into something productive for them, not only does it make them more efficient, which makes the leadership happy, right? But it actually makes them happy. It gives them what they need when and where they need it. Mm -hmm. And yet it seems companies are still struggling to, to make this happen. It seems like we're still taking 30, 60, 90 minute instructor-led training courses and saying, hey, well, we published that video and we put it in SharePoint. They can access that whenever they want. But that's not the same as what you're describing right now. It starts with the assessment piece you got to see what is the outcome that we want to get out of this what do you want people to be able to do after they consume this training and so then you ask yourself can this be done with a job aid can this be done with a interactive activity is it a luxury style like it goes really back to the modality and so then you've got to look at who's it for what do they need to know? When do they need to know it? And then you can create a training that solution, and it's a true solution for that employee, which again, means that you might have different trainings around the same topic. And so yeah. there's a lot of things that we've taken from 50, 60 minute trainings down to 10 minute trainings, because we were able to give them what they needed to know, when they needed to know it. And we're also finding that they'll go back to a 10 minute training and re-review it, they will not for a 60-minute training. I will for a 60-minute training. 
who who would <laughs> you know that that's really actually great feedback I, because i do feel there's a tendency and maybe this is just based in some historic requirements inside the organization but there's this tendency towards i'm going to say completeness but really probably being overdone right if you can effectively deliver what you need to deliver in 10 minutes of content then why make it in 60 yet mm-hmm. i do talk to companies who still feel compelled to build out this massive portfolio and it doesn't necessarily make sense from those same companies we hear that they struggle to get consumption of that content and so it begs the question then then why are you making it if you know it's not been effective then why are you continuing to do it right and so I love that you've pivoted towards this approach of bringing things into bite-sized chunks. And, and that statement is, that says people are more likely to go back to smaller form content and use it for reference purposes, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I, and I always ask our like compliance team, is there a time requirement on this? No, I'm not bound by a time requirement. Okay, great. You know, and if we are, you know, we follow the rules. Um, but we try to be smart with how we're designing that training. If there's a so time tell me, requirement. Tell, tell me about the time requirements. That's something that I haven't heard of before. Describe yeah. it. Is that due, due to the regulatory nature of your industry? Okay. Tell yes. me about that. So um, for our technicians, they're required to do um, a certification course to be able to go and uh, take the test to become a registered behavior technician. They have to have at least 40 hours of instruction to be able to apply for that test. So that's an additional development for like my certification as a as a board certified behavior analyst. Um, I there are requirements on how many continuing education units that you need to have during your renewal period. And there's time requirements on those. I need 32 every two years, you know, so I need 32 hours of instruction every two years. Um, so those are some examples of time requirements, but when there's not a time requirement, there's not a regulatory body looking at us, um, then I'm looking at what do I need to get out of this? And, and that's really good. It, it's actually concerning to hear when the there's a time requirement around training versus a competency, you know, just purely a competency right. requirement. It seems like we're just, we're, we're filling space just for the purpose of filling space. And I haven't run into many people in a professional context these days that that have, you know, excess time to, to work with. So that's a shame that that's even uh, a nature of the requirement. But I, I, I guess I understand those are probably some legacy regulations that are still just thriving today. It's it's easy to measure, uh, probably easier to measure right. than other ways of, of measuring the effectiveness. So it, you've really given us a given me a lot of great ideas. And I'm sure our audience is, is going to feel the same way. I'm, I'm curious if there are one or two pieces of advice that you would give to somebody around technology adoption, specifically the frontline workers, what's the the one or two most important things that you think need to be tackled in order to be successful? I think ensure a good solid project plan. And when there's multiple departments or stakeholders that everyone's represented it, represented in the plan and that you hold each other accountable and there's you build trust within those relationships um you test it from the end user before you roll it out um 
lessons learned, hard lessons learned there. So go actually use it like the end user would. And if you can't, then you get you recruit someone to, to be your tester, right? And um, we pilot lots of things at our organizations for that reason. Um, and then last, um, I always say that change can be good, but transition is always going to be hard. So keep that in mind. Stay the course. Take data. Um, you know, make data-based decisions if you need to tweak something. But remember, change, even though you think this is the greatest thing ever, and why wouldn't everyone just love this, transition is always going to be hard. Yeah. I, I love wrapping up on on that. I think that is uh, the, the quote of today's episode, because I, I do think in the long run, you know, change is almost always good. Even the folks that grown a little bit on the front end about making that change. One of the most rewarding things that I can think of is, is being part of project teams where we encountered a lot of resistance and challenge on the front end. But then you go back, go back out and see those those team members who were using that technology 30, 60, 90 days later, and all of a sudden now you can't get it out of their hands, right? So it, <laughs> it, it felt when you were first starting that, that initiative that you were never going to get to that point. But then when you go back out there later and they've, they've dealt with that change, they've gone through that transition, they're now on the other side of that, to see them embrace it as part of their role and now not want to give it up, that's pretty rewarding. But as you've pointed out several times today, it doesn't just happen by itself. It takes a lot of very deliberate, thoughtful process in order to get there. And it sounds like you and your team are, are doing a fantastic job on that mission. So um, congratulations for all that you've accomplished in your organization. And thank you for sharing some perspective. We've talked a lot about field service and delivery organizations and manufacturing, supply chain, and things like that. We haven't really had anybody from the healthcare space on frontline innovators. So I really welcome your input and the, the added perspective that you've given us today. Turns out while there are a bunch of things that are different, there's actually probably a lot that's the same, you know, yep. it's we're, we're dealing with humans, we're dealing with technology, we're dealing with change and all those same frustrations. But um, you guys have really done a great job on that. So thank you for sharing that story today. Thank you. All right. Well, I do need to wrap it up there. And to our audience, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. If so, please share and rate the podcast. As you always hear me say, five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skyllful.com. We're always looking for new guests on the show, especially folks with healthcare background now. So if you are out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll try and get you on the next episode. Amanda, thanks again for your time today. Thank you, Justin.